0: Morning. Uh, today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for the wide gate is the gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but in the wilderness they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or thigs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me,
1: Thanks, Robert. Well, things are not always what they seem. Things are not always what they seem. So years ago, the Guardian newspaper ran this ad in the UK. Event seen from one point of view gives one impression. Seen from another point of view, it gives quite a different impression but it's only when you get the whole picture you can fully understand what's going on. The Guardian's got a bit one-eyed since then, but never mind, things are not always what they seem. Things are not always what they seem. In 2001, there was a cleaner at London's Ice storm Gallery, cleared away a priceless art installation by artist Damon Hurst. There's a slide of it, Robert, thanks. Not surprisingly, having mistaken it for a pile of rubbish, the collection of beer bottles, coffee cups, and overflowing ashtrays was said to represent the chaos of an artist's studio. And the cleaner thought it was rubbish and chucked it out. (laughs) Similarly, in the 80s, the work of Joseph Buse, which featured a very dirty bath, was scrubbed clean by a gallery worker in Germany. Brilliant. Things are not always what they seem. And as Jesus gets to near the the end of this Sermon on the Mount, he wants to warn us. Warn us that when it comes to spiritual things, things about God, about eternity, about heaven and hell, what might seem good and right to most people might not be right, because things are not always what they seem. And we need help from Jesus to see things rightly. Uh, We can sum up uh, where we're up to in the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, we can do that with the end of last week's passage, which you might have noticed we didn't talk about. So let's have a look at verse 12. Um, Jesus has taught us loads in this sermon, but he now gives us a handy rule of thumb for how to treat others, to help us remember. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So that one verse sums up all that we've seen, that we're to follow Jesus with everything, all of who we are, all that we do. And doesn't that treating others as we would like to be treated, doesn't that just cut through all our self-righteous pomp and waffle? So in light of that verse, we're, we're salt and light sharing Jesus because we're glad someone shared him with us. We resist name-calling, knowing that we hate to feel that kind of anger against us. We resist lustful looks because we don't want ourselves or our loved ones to be cheapened like that. Um, We're truthful, peaceful, generous, humble, and slow to judge, all because that's how we appreciate being treated, and because that is how Jesus has treated us. So the gospel isn't... um, just how to be saved, and then how to live in response is just kind of an extra tagged-on bit. No, it's Jesus and who he is, what he's done, that drives how we're saved, but also how we live. So the gospel drives how we live as well as that we live. Uh, In Titus 2, the apostle Paul puts it like this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So our trainer in how to live isn't some harsh disciplinarian with a list of do's and don'ts. Our trainer in how to live is grace. Showing grace to others because we were first shown grace by God in Jesus So that's our recap. Let's get into today's passage and let Jesus set us straight on how things really are because things are not always what they seem. So three sections we'll look at if you find an outline helpful. Work out the right way. Work out the right teachers. Work out what God wants. Work out the right way. Work out the right teachers. Work out what God wants. First then, work out the right way. The way that most people are on That seems the right way to go is the path to destruction. And the path that looks least like the way to life is the right way, is the right path. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So to summarise, two gates, two ways, leading to two different destinations. And the destinations Jesus is talking about is how we will spend eternity. So destruction in hell or life in heaven. Now that's getting pretty heavy pretty quickly, isn't it? So when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, you'll see he's full of grace and compassion and gentleness. He came to save. But he does give plenty of warnings about that destruction 11 times he calls it Gehenna usually translated in our Bibles as hell and we aren't told in detail what hell is like like we're not told in detail what heaven is like but Jesus is really clear that you should do anything to avoid going there better ever enter heaven with bits of you chopped off than into hell whole So Jesus is saying, these two ways, it's a matter of eternal life and death. Well, is he right? Is he just scaremongering? Is there really a scary place that we need to avoid at all costs? And that's what every one of us needs to work out. But if Jesus really was resurrected, we'll celebrate Jesus' resurrection at Easter. And that means so much. But one thing it does is prove that Jesus is the real deal. That what he says... It's true, you can rely on what he says. So when it comes to our eternal destiny, Jesus says, there's a wide gate with a wide way, And it is wide, and there's loads of people who are in it, because it's the most popular way to live. All the cool kids are doing it. You know? Anything goes, do your own thing, live life your way with you in control. no constraints, no demands. Choose your own adventure, follow your dreams. And as we look on at that wide way, well, it kind of looks like the right way, often. I mean, it's so easy. But Jesus warns, that way leads to destruction. By contrast, the gate that leads to life is narrow. So one at a time, I've got a picture here, Robert, thank you. So one at a time, something like that. I couldn't find a kissing gate, you know, where you can only pass through one at a time. Um, or more like a turnstile, just such very narrow doors, one person at a time, an iron gate. That's the kind of picture of a narrow gate. It's harder to find. Indeed, only a few finder find it. The narrow way is not popular. Uh, you can't bring all your baggage with you because you have to let go of yourself to go through. Jesus is the gate. So passing through means throwing your lot in with him, putting him in the driving seat as your saviour and your Lord, giving up your self-rule and living for Jesus instead. His way is narrow. It's narrowed by the constraints of truth and righteousness, of how things really are. But it is the better way, and it leads to life a life of meaning and purpose now, a harder life now, yes, and ultimately it leads to eternal, an eternal life of peace and perfect fulfillment with God forever. So it's much harder to choose this narrow way, especially when so many around us are choosing the easier way. And we are social creatures. We find it easier to do things together, to do what everybody else is doing. There's a picture here, Um, taken in 1936, some dispute about who this bloke is, but probably August Landmesser, who was banned from um, marrying a woman of Jewish heritage. So how hard must it have been for him to not join in with that crowd? Just because something is popular, doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it is right. It doesn't mean everything is good as it seems on the surface. The grass really isn't greener on that wide way. Stick with Jesus for true life and abundance. Uh, Jesus puts it another way later in Matthew. Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So how do we make sure we stay on this narrow path and not have our head turned? Well, we need to think, practice thinking eternally. So not just go in with what makes life easier here and now. Because if that's our sole perspective, of course we'll choose the easy, wide way. So we need to keep changing our perspective, seeking first God's kingdom, his loving rule, and his righteousness, thinking eternally. We need to work out the right way. And next, we need to work out the right teachers. Excuse me. Work out the right teachers. Um, Jesus warns us there will be people wanting to tell us things about God who aren't quite what they seem. So verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So prophets there, um, Jesus just means people claiming to bring us God's words. So in that sense, what I'm doing here this morning is being a prophet, bringing you God's words from the Bible. Uh, Jesus tells us two things about these false prophets. They will look like ordinary, everyday, part of our tribe insiders, and they are ferocious wolves, only interested in themselves and happy to destroy you in the process, urging you on down the way to destruction. Now, false prophets. So it's easy to think here of somebody like the Mormon church, or the Jehovah's Witnesses. you know, They use all the same language of salvation. They talk about Messiah, Son of God, about Jesus. Same labels, but they mean something completely different and destructive by those terms, about who Jesus is and what he's done. But that's kind of a cheap, easy shot, because they've quite handily given their churches a different name, so they're easy to spot. Okay? But Jesus says false prophets... Will be like sheep. They'll be like us. You know, every heretic in the history of the church has used the Bible. And like Satan, they masquerade as light. So, how on earth are we going to spot them? Well, verse 16 By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will know them. You'll recognize them. So, by their fruit. So, fruit of their own character. Uh, Is whoever's teaching you growing in godliness or self-importance? Are they growing in humility or in arrogance? Do they seem to know grace, or do they seem like they've got a big chip on their shoulder? If you look at Titus or 1 Timothy for the qualifications for pastors, teachers, elders, uh, the Bible doesn't separate what someone is like at home from what their doctrine is or what they're like at church. It's all bundled together because sound doctrine and true faith produces the fruit of good character. So you'll know them by the fruit of their character. You'll know them by the fruit of what they teach. Does their teaching point to Jesus and his narrow way? Or are they trying to smuggle in some wide way ideas or or dress up the wide way in Christian sounding labels? False teachers won't tell you how hard and exclusive the narrow way we're on is. They'll just want to tickle your ears with, what's nice to hear about love and living your best life. They won't tell you that life following Jesus is guaranteed to bring you more trouble. They won't talk about judgment and sin. They'll tell you the things that anger God are okay. Like the prof- there was false prophets in the Old Testament that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah dealt with. Um, and this, God said this about them. They dress the wound of my people as if it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You'll know them by the fruit of their teaching as well. So the fruit of their character, what it is they teach, and the fruit of their teaching. The fruit of false teaching is distracting you from Jesus, leaving people less assured of our salvation in Jesus, muddying the waters about how he saved, adding some requirement that's needed to be right with God. In the name of tolerance and inclusivity, being intolerant and exclusive of anyone who insists on Jesus' narrow way. But most importantly, false teachers' teaching leaves people trusting in something else other than Jesus'. Trusting in something other than Jesus. So, for example, a te- there's a teaching around in some churches, and this um, deeply affected a friend of ours. That the teaching goes that God's promise of what his fully realized future kingdom in a new creation will be like. They sort of bring those promises to the here and now. So then, when, when Christians under that teaching get ill and don't get better, Well, they say, well, you you can't blame God so you've got for the fact that you're still ill so you've got to invent another reason. It must be the quality or the amount of your faith that is the problem. So do you see how ferociously destructive that is? How it, it takes a truth that sin and death are defeated in the long run eternally, but twists that teaching with a subtle error, one of timing about when we can expect God's full blessings. And it leaves people needlessly doubting their security in Christ and God's love. And it leaves them trusting in their own faith, not who their faith is in. But that's an easy one for me to point the finger at because, you know, that's them. That's the others. That wouldn't happen here. So what's the danger for us in our nice, solid, Bible teaching, Trinity Network Church like ours? Well, the danger is still putting your trust in something other than Jesus. So in other churches, the danger might be the intense experience of an emotive service. The danger for us, I think, is trusting in being puffed up with Bible knowledge, trusting in knowing exactly the right theological nuances and feeling pretty pleased with ourselves about it but somehow forgetting in all of that to actually personally know heart to heart and depend on Jesus because you can know all about Jesus and not love him and our word-rich way of doing church together gives us potentially gives us lots of words to hide behind so I'll never knowingly teach you something that the Bible doesn't say. I'll never do that. But it is possible I could get on a hobby horse that leads to an unhelpful emphasis. And even just preparing this talk, I had to edit out, work out what's... Oh, come on, Colin, that's just your being your bonnet. Don't bug everyone with that. So it is possible, again, to lead us into unhelpful emphases that distracts from Jesus. It is possible... That I could lead us into being pleased with ourselves, that we know the right thing without leading us to love Jesus and know Him and depend on Him. So, your key measure always measure what I say up front here or anybody else who teaches you in our church by this standard. Are we pointing you to Jesus and encouraging you to depend on Him and love Him? Are we pointing you to Jesus and encouraging you to love Him, to know Him personally? That's why we have the passage on the screen, why well, it's good to have the Bible open in front of you so you can check for yourself. That's why we go th- tend to go through books of the Bible rather than do topics, so we can let God and his word set the agenda, not me. So that's internal false teaching, um, but we're not immune to the, way, the wide way, are we? It's always there in the corner of our eye And one way our society and culture is constantly pulling us, I think, is towards consumerism in everything, including church. So we can end up with a distorted view of church, that it's it's just where I go to get my weekly encouragement, my shot in the arm. Another nice thing I do at, at weekend. But if it's not quite hitting the mark for me, I won't bother, or I'll find another one that's a bit easier. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking here about people who need to be absent for good reasons. And you watching at home, I'm not talking about you. There's ways uh, of being absent for good reasons and even long term and still being part of things. So I'm not talking about you, just to be clear. But, but we've all got to guard against that consumerist view of church. Uh, consumerism, the, world, the way he preaches and individualism as well everything about our society and culture is training us to see ourselves as individual units. Whereas Jesus saves us into a family. Jesus saves us into a body, a people. So, of course, part of why we come to church is to be fed, is for our own needs, to be encouraged, and that is essential. But it's only part of the picture. And the wide way... Can make us forget that we also come to church for the sake of other people, to serve as well as be served. So there's the in, inside. You've got what's going on inside. We be careful of the influence of the wide way. Another potential source of false prophets is we're just exposed to so much information, now, aren't we? Informe- uh, sermons and articles we read online. Just always ask yourself. Is this pointing me to Jesus, or is it distracting me from him? Is this growing me in my godliness and my assurance in Christ? Or is it just puffing me up, distracting me, making me doubt? Just ask questions of everything you read and listen to. And in working all this out, let's not forget what we've already seen in the Sermon on the Mount. We are to make wise judgments, but don't be judgmental. There's, a, there's no need to get distracted with going on a witch hunt and seeking out every heresy so that we can feel pleased about ourselves for rooting it out. We don't need to be proud of our orthodoxy. Just be all about Jesus. Don't identify them and call them names because doing that is along the same route as murder. Murder. Jesus told us. Don't make enemies. But do reject the wide way. Do insist on Jesus as the only way to be saved. So, the right way, the right teachers, and finally, work out what God wants. Work out what God wants. Jesus warns us that people calling themselves Christian are not always what they seem. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then come the most terrifying words in all the universe for all time. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What is the will of the Father in heaven? How do we make sure we're not the ones who are shut out of heaven? God's will is to trust in his son, Jesus. To be like the man with leprosy. Just over the page in chapter 8, Chapter 8, verse 2. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's God's will, that we come to Jesus with this simple trust and belief, not trying to save ourselves. And the genuineness of that trust and belief, of receiving God's grace and forgiveness, is shown up in wanting to do God's will in how we live our lives. So God's will is, really, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Falling on Jesus for forgiveness, poor in spirit, meek, knowing that we don't deserve to be in God's kingdom. And in light of knowing forgiveness by grace, in light of seeing the goodness of Jesus, thirsting to be like him, following him with all that we are. So please don't walk away from this talk, this sermon, with less assurance, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're depending on Jesus, if you're standing before God, he will not turn you away. He will not turn you away. The examples Jesus uses are prophesying, driving out demons, and performing miracles in his name. Now, those are spectacular things, aren't they? I mean, I think we'd all feel a bit more vibrant and sure we're on the right track if those things were happening here every Sunday morning. I reckon we'd get big crowds in, huge crowds. But Jesus isn't impressed with all that, is he? All that miracle stuff can just as easily be part of the wide way as it can be part of the narrow way. And the overall picture in the New Testament is of being transformed into Jesus-likeness by God's Spirit as we respond to his grace. But the biblical picture is also that that is usually slow, hard work, hard going, and often pretty mundane. Now that message doesn't pack out churches, but it does produce fruit that will last forever forever not just cause a stir. And just like our solid, reformed, evangelical, word-based services could be, miracles and all of that can all be done for ourselves, be all about ourselves, trusting in ourselves, even whilst we stick Jesus' name on it. So Jesus presents us with two choices, the wide gate and the way leading to destruction and the narrow gate, the way leading to life. So to sum up, beware the false offers of an easier life that the world or false teachers present. Beware of kidding yourself. Don't fixate on the here and now. Look at things with an eternal perspective. Don't waste time being a judgmental heresy hunter. Don't call names and make enemies. Don't worry about all this. But do pray to your Father in heaven who loves to give you good things. Trust in Jesus. Don't trust in an experience or a network or a theological tribe. In his grace, God gives us all those things to help us stick with Jesus But they are not in and of themselves the thing, the one. So as you trust in Jesus, be assured from the start of this sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray. Lord, please help us not to take wrong turns, not to be uh, unduly influenced by the wide way, by false teachers. Please help us not to kid ourselves. And please give us that eternal perspective that (laughs) will... Help us stay on that narrow path, even when it seems so much harder than everything else. I thank you for the life that you offer us through Jesus. And keep us trusting in him and him alone. Amen.